I, I really feel like if I was going to give this year a headline, this is the year that I'm going to really push myself to work on some of my fears around being seen and, and showing up and leaning into my authenticity because it's just become really clear to me that it's not serving me or others to like hide behind my business anymore. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Welcome, welcome to a new episode of the Our Nature podcast. This episode is incredibly special for a number of reasons. The first being it's my first episode in almost a year, which is absolutely wild to me. Second, I'm switching it up this time and my partner David is going to be interviewing me for this episode. I wanted to have the space to dive into what the heck's been happening with me all these months because I went very inward and into a metaphorical cave and I'm truly ready to step back into the world and share what I've been up to. And now that I'm ready to emerge, I wanted to talk about what caused me to pause this podcast and many aspects of my business in the first place. The surprising career decision that I made last summer that was very much guided by my intuition. The diagnosis that transformed my relationship to myself, my business, and all of my relationships. And what's to come and what you can expect from me this year. This was a vulnerable episode for me for many reasons, but my word this year is courage, so I'm really ready to lean in. I feel honored and grateful for this platform and for the community that surrounds it, and I promise to continue to lead with integrity and a generosity of spirit. If you've been an Arnisher listener for some time, thank you for sticking with me. I'm truly thankful to be back in your ears and back in so many other ways. I'll be sharing more about this episode, about what I've been up to on Instagram, so you can follow at our, our nature always, O-U-R-N-A-T-U-R-E, always, uh, as well as in my newsletter, which is currently in the process of getting a facelift and a redo. I always do my best to share news with my newsletter subscribers first. And so I'll include a link in the show notes if you'd like to sign up to receive it. So with that, let's dive into the first episode in my fifth season of Our Nature, featuring yours truly. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast. Thanks, David. It's pretty fun to be on this side of the mic. This is We're trying this. It's new, um, especially on my own podcast, because I've always been inter... Well, I've interviewed... I've never been interviewed on my own podcast. I've never interviewed anyone before. <laughs> Perfect. So, let's, let's, let's see how this goes. Sounds good. Uh, so bring me back to spring of 2022. I remember at the time you were planning on taking a short break from the podcast, partly to give yourself a chance to rest, but also because you had a retreat coming up. You had a homecoming retreat in early May. What made you decide to pause and what's happened since? Yeah, at the time I was working as a interim CMO for a startup. And I was also preparing, like you said, for the homecoming course and retreat. 
as well as, you know, working on my podcast, doing all of the editing um, on my own and the newsletter and and sort of everything related to that. Um, and I was noticing that when I wasn't working during the workday, I was working at night and I was working on weekends and I wasn't really taking time for myself. I wasn't taking time to connect with any of my friends. Um, and I think all of that made me pretty miserable, <laughs> to be honest. I was very stressed. I was very exhausted. And I had had these memories of, in the past, having weekends where I could relax or do things to rejuvenate my spirit. And I felt like there was no space for that. Um, Basically, I was on the verge of burnout. And it's something that I talk about in my work as something important to pay attention to. And yet I was I was sort of spiraling towards that very quickly. And so I made the decision, which felt like a radical decision at the time, to take a break. And originally I was only going to take a break for a few weeks because I was preparing for my retreat and course for homecoming. And I, I thought, oh, well, I'll get back to it afterwards. And then Every time I, I went to move towards getting back to the podcast and, and everything related to my business, I felt such resistance. And I think it was because I started to have time to enjoy myself and to do things for me that felt uplifting and supportive. And I didn't want to lose that. And so I just kept pausing and I actually, you know, I got really worried that I broke trust with a lot of my listeners or my newsletter followers because I'd say like, oh, I'll be back in a few weeks. And then I just, I couldn't do it. But I also think that's really real and that sometimes happens. And I'm really proud of the fact that I chose me and my well-being and I feel like what I share with listeners and what I share with everyone that follows my work is that, you know, you have to, it, it starts with you. And if you're not well, you can't show up for other people. And for me, I really kind of lived that. And so I made the decision that I was going to put my well-being front and center. And I'm actually really glad I did. And so I ended up pausing Basically until, it, in some ways, I kind of went into like maybe dark mode or something, L low mode, or I took it down a notch. I went to like turtle speed, <laughs> as they call it, instead of rabbit speed on like a tractor, um, until about this moment when I'm now emerging from my cave and ready to lean towards um, my business and, and this, which includes this podcast, hence we're doing this episode, uh, right now. You know, as you talk about that period of time, it reminds me a little bit of what it was like to be around you. I feel like before you made the decision to pause, there was a constant hemming and hawing inside of you of, uh, can I, should I, uh, what will happen if I do? But I remember it was just like sitting in your lap, staring at you. And when you finally said yes, yes to taking a pause and giving yourself a chance to regroup, it almost felt like that space gave you a lot more clarity so that, like you said, anytime something came up around work, around our nature, do you need to get back to it or no? Um, that sense of right or wrong, yes or no, was very easy for you to access. We know one example was we talked about this before your May retreat, which was that as soon as your May retreat was done, you were going to have to start the planning and the logistics for your September homecoming retreat. And I think before you had decided to take a pause, you were unclear about whether that was going to feel workable or not for you. But then that space that you were 
that you received after taking that pause, I remember making that decision very clear for you as well. On that note, um, I know that during that pause, even in the early days of this pause, some really interesting and unexpected opportunities came up, as it often does in this kind of space. For example, in June, you ended up taking a job at Google, which was an opportunity and even a decision that you had never really anticipated. What brought you to make that decision? Because um, I do remember at the time, it was very unclear to you how you might be able to balance a full-time job in the tech world with your business. It was definitely like what I call plot twist. It was, uh, it came a bit out of nowhere and surprised me. And I, I speak a lot on this podcast and in all of my work about how to build that intuitive muscle so that when big decisions come up, there is clarity. And for me, I had spent a lot of time working on that. Um, and often what I found that is that when you do follow your intuition, it leads you to very unexpected places because it's against the conditioning. Um, and the path towards growth is often that path because it's what, you know, in order to become someone you've never been, you have to do something you've never done. Mm -hmm. And so those two things run in parallel to each other. And so for me, when this opportunity at Google came up and, and for the listeners, you know, I haven't really talked about my journey uh, in my career in other ways, um, in other respects, but uh, I had tempt been a temp at Google before for a few years and had a really good experience. And, but I was not necessarily looking for a full-time job at the time. I was freelancing, like I said, and I, in my mind, thought that, well, this flexibility and the freedom that I have really sets me up for success to build my business and, and put attention towards that. But when this opportunity came up, I didn't actually have clarity at the beginning of the process, but I did know that it was worth it for me to start interviewing. And I remember you and I had conversations about it and I said, I don't know if this is the right thing for me yet. Like I, I don't have a read on it, but I just kept going and I took each step and then I began to really feel when I would check in with myself that, yes, I did want this. I didn't know why <laughs> at the time, um, but it did feel right. And in retrospect, it was definitely the best decision for me. I think now I've been at Google um, and I'm a strategist for um, those on the call who uh, are interested. I basically help. I work at YouTube and I help brands make effective ads. And it took some time to check in with myself too around, is this aligned with my values and my, my bigger purpose, which I've spoken a lot about on this, uh, on this show. And for me, one of the ways that I am guided is around working within systems to change systems. I really think you kind of need both. You need people outside the system to kind of poke and prod at certain systems to dismantle them. And I also think you need people within the system to kind of work within them, that system and, and change it. And so being connected to like a very capitalist, <laughs> you know, system, the advertising world, I do think there, and there have been many opportunities for me to positively push these big brands that have a lot of influence towards more inclusivity, towards more substance, towards more meaning. Um, and that feels very aligned with my values. And the other thing is that I've realized that there is a real space for someone who can represent straddling the world of tech and the world of deep and intimate nature relationship um, and embody that within one and show people that, you know, there it 
you don't have, it's not as black and white and you can have a relationship with technology that is healthy and balanced and you can have a deep and intimate relationship with the natural world and the two can coexist. Um, and I do believe, you know, society is heading, you know, we just had the AI it's, you know, it's the AI arms race or something. I don't know if that's the best way to call it, but every, there's, you know, there, it's, this is a moment that will forever change us societally. And I think you do need people who are speaking and part of these spaces to also bring the bigger perspective and the wider um, framework of like reciprocity and mutual care and, Um, and have that exist in these spaces rather than kind of what I often see sometimes is these spaces are separate and they're not talking to each other. So I sort of, through saying yes to Google, began to realize that this could be potentially the space that I could hopefully influence very positively, um, in a unique way that is needed. And yeah, I think I'm still figuring it out, but, but that's kind of where I've landed with all of it. You know, I know we're going to talk more in depth about forest therapy later in this conversation, but you've actually seen that this is true, that when you bring people from who we could say are living a more typical modern life into a natural environment, and just with a few kind of easy, basic prompts, you can get people to connect to the natural world in some pretty like basic settings very quickly. And I know that you've said that you've seen just the influence of, of nature being a, a kind of omnipresent influence in your life, that that's actually bled into your, the awareness of your coworkers, too, that they've been more inclined to get outside just by having conversations with you. I think we all want to have a purpose that is related to massive change, you know, and that, that, that prompts big societal shifts for the better. You know, I think we are all inherently good in our hearts. Well, at least that's what I'd like to believe in that people really want to put their efforts towards something that can really change, you know, society on a bigger scale. But I believe that that really does start with the individual and it's and it builds. It's kind of like a, a spiral it, or a, a snowball. It, it, it sort of builds unto itself. And so for me, if I can encourage my coworkers to take their family to the park more or go on a hike instead of, I don't know, going out to brunch, then that builds unto itself. You know, I have actu- actually someone, a, a co, well, a coworker of mine, actually a superior of mine, who has started to really invest in caring about the environment and thinking about what she eats and how she travels. And that this is it's amazing to witness the changes that she started to make. And it's just an example of how I really believe that sometimes the smallest things can create, you know, it's like a ripple. It can build into the biggest changes. I actually want to stick with this Google uh, topic for just a second longer, because there's something else in here that I think would be really helpful for your listeners, which is... um. You know, it was a radical act for you to pause your business. It, it flies in the face of convention or what seems to be necessary in order to take something that is building and have it really blossom. Um, but there was also something really radical, of course, in you deciding to take this full-time job, in large part because, like I said before, it raises a lot of questions about how is this going to interface with your business and in, in a more high-level view, if you say yes to Google, does that mean that you are somehow saying no to your business? Now, you've continued to take this break for this long, in large part because it has continued to feel right for you. At least that's from my vantage point, that's what I see. 
And just because it is a kind of unconventional and by some measures kind of like a radical decision to take this break, um, I'm, I'm actually interested in hearing from you what you feel like having this full-time job has given you personally. How has it been supporting you in a way where it's continued to feel right to be on pause with your business? Having something like this that is reliable to some extent, you know, I'm, I'm definitely someone who believes that external uh, markers of safety and stability are, are an illusion, basically. But there is a certain amount of predictability and regularity and reliability in the 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 structure and the essence of having a full-time position. And that's really been supportive because what I don't think I realized until I stepped into a full-time job again, because I had had one before, I do want to mention that. So this isn't totally new for me, but I didn't realize that so much of my creative effort and, and also just my energy was being put towards also building a freelance business. I was like building two businesses and that's a lot to do simultaneously. And it's a lot to sort of, um, you're set, you're, you're juggling your schedule with one thing and then you're juggling your schedule with another thing. So having the predictability of like, you know, the nine to five, if you will, allows me then to put all of that creative and um I guess it's 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 a bit um I feel like it's mutable it like it's energy that's um I'll just say creative energy towards building my business and also I just want to say that so much of what happens in my business scares the shit out of me (laughs) So it just feels terrifying to me, uh, you know, and I get, I'll talk about this in other episodes around being seen and that, that process. But for me, I think there was aspects of freelance that really scared me too, because you're constantly having to prove yourself on every project. It's just like kind of an exhausting uh, process, it, at least it was for me. So now I can just direct all of my courage towards this one area of my life as opposed to having to separate and and direct it to two. Yeah, and I remember you saying that it felt once you started at Google and got settled that it was almost like you felt like you actually had more time for the other things in your life and you didn't literally have more minutes and seconds. But it was like you had more mental and emotional time. At the end of your workday, you still had all of this uh, energy and enthusiasm. And yeah, and like your courage budget like had not been exhausted yet. <laughs> well, and I want to say like, I really like the work that I do. I think it's important to mention that I wouldn't have taken this job. Well, I, I want to say a couple of things. Mm-hmm. First, Google would have been my absolute dream when I had first graduated from college. I think it was sort of, I thought of myself that I wanted to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, the best company to work at was Google and that was going to be my life. And I think by the time I took this job and I've talked about it when I've been interviewed on other podcasts and I've talked a little bit about it in the intros of, of this podcast, I had really detached my identity from being from my from my career. And I, I feel like that even with my own business, it's harder because my business is me in a lot of ways. But I I really worked on feeling like a whole person unto myself and one that was not like my worthiness and my sense of identity was not attached to what I did for my career. And I think that's what's allowed me to have a lot of joy in this experience because I'm not holding on so tightly to this idea of what it means to work at Google. And I want to say that the, the particular job that I have as a, as a strategist 
is what I love to do, which is basically I look at all of the patterns of behavior that people make um, specifically around like, and this is big data. It's like, you know, what they search on Google or, you know, what they're the top questions and, and, you know, about a topic or things like that. And what I do is I basically dig into understanding why. And so it's really understanding human behavior and the human experience. And that is something I'm endlessly fascinated by. I feel like that's your favorite thing to do anytime. (laughs) Exactly. So I get to do that all day. And it also helps me with my business because the more I can understand people's experience, especially as it relates to technology and how they interface with the, you know, the modern society, quote unquote, then it helps me understand how to communicate and re- and meet people where they're at and invite them into that deep relationship and intimate relationship with the living world. I think, you know, it's like we have to speak the language of of the people we're trying to to reach and I get to investigate all of those people every day and so it it really helps me, I think. And as far as your work um, through our nature or your work as a back to nature guide, you haven't been entirely idle. I mean, you paused the podcast. You, um, I think, I don't know if you if you paused the newsletter completely or if that's just kind of been a little spottier. I, I mean, I, I tried, <laughs> I tried to keep it up, but I was having trouble. It was just I was noticing so much resistance to doing it and. I'm a generator in human design for mm-hmm. all my human design uh, fans out there. And if I don't feel like it's giving me energy, it's almost, I, I can't do it and I can't sustain it. And right. for whatever reason, I think because I was going through, and we'll, I think we'll talk about this, a lot of personal transformation, it, it just felt like a time to be inward rather than outward. And I it resulted in you know, not being able to push through that in order to put out my newsletter on a regular basis. So, yeah, it was spotty. <laughs> well, but one thing you have been saying yes to, and something that's been a really active part of your work, even in the last year, has been your work as a forest therapy guide. Now, you were in training, I think, starting what, last winter? Winter January. of 2020? Okay, January of 2022. And when did you begin leading walks? I began leading walks, I think, in June of last year. Um, yeah, I, it was a six-month program, or maybe it was June or July. You know, you led a walk for your family Oh yeah. in Maine, and that was not your first forest therapy walk. No, it wasn't. Yeah, I think I started guiding maybe in May. Um, and then I was, I think I was still in training at the time, but right at the end. And I was, um, I was guide, you know, part of our, our certification was to guide some walks. So that's what I was doing. And I was guiding all different types of walks, um, in different settings. And then I graduated in June and I've been guiding, basically monthly walks with a company called USAL, U-S-A-L. And, they, and they're a company that offers nature-based experiences in the Los Angeles area. Um, and they've been a wonderful partner to me because uh, they've got such a strong built community that I get the privilege of interfacing with and connecting with and being a part of myself. Um, and so I've continued to guide monthly walks in LA. Now I have attended most of these walks. You're my assistant. 
I am. But also a participant. But I get to participate, and they're wonderful every single time. And the transformation that I see in people over those two and a half or three hours is just amazing. It's just amazing. One of the, well, a few of the things that I've noticed about forest therapy that I actually would like to highlight here and then maybe hear you speak about a little bit is that one, I have seen the transformation happen in people who generally, um, for one reason or another, maybe don't feel that connected to the natural world on a daily basis. Uh, maybe they live like a highly urbanized life or just their lifestyle or their, or their way of being. They're just not necessarily tuning in to the subtleties of the natural world that often. But time and time again, I've seen you take a group off, you know, every time it's a different group in a very different setting. Sometimes it's like a loud public park. Other times it's been these like very beautiful, idyllic little protected places. But every single time, like I said, in those three hours, that, that journey of people arriving on LA freeways or whatever it may be, and they leave like, it's almost like they're kids again. I know that you want to talk in detail about forest therapy on a later episode, but what I see is a kind of profound and also like oddly simple magic in these sessions. And I wonder if you might talk a little bit about what, well, you can talk, you can give an introduction to the degree you want about what forest therapy is, but I see and feel the power of it every time. And I wonder if you might talk about what you think is so powerful or why is forest therapy so, so damn powerful. Yeah, for those, I've talked a little bit about forest therapy in my newsletter. I want to do a full episode on it because I think there's a lot of interest in it, which is great. My walks always sell out, which is so heartening. Um, and there's also another forest therapy guide with Usal who um, is really wonderful. And both our walks sell out. And I think it just, I say that because I think it speaks to the the interest and the need for this type of experience for people. Which is interesting because it seems to me like most people who come have never done it before. Yeah. And it's not like they really know what they're in for. Yes. But they seem to have a feeling. Yes. And I think that's the feeling to follow. Um, but I would say the best way, there's so many ways to describe forest therapy, but I would say it's a relational practice that helps bring people into deeper intimacy with natural spaces and natural places and then with themselves. Um, and it involves sensory-based experiences and mindfulness-based experiences in nature. Um, I guide according to a very specific structure and sequence um, that is really designed to provide a safe and welcoming space for people to um, begin to build that deeper relationship in whatever way that feels good to them. I think one of the magic, you know, you've talked about like the magic and what, what was the question? Like why there's what that is like, or what makes it so magical? Yeah, Where okay. is that magic yeah. seem to come well, from? We always, uh, I, I was trained by the Association of Nature and Forest Therapists. It's called ANFT. So I'm an ANFT certified guide. And um, what I learned in my training and, and something, a phrase that I love is the forest is, is the therapist and the guide opens the door. And the reason why it's so magical is because the way that I guide and the way that, you know, forest therapy is structured is such that everyone can have the experience that they need to have. So no, there are no shoulds. This is not a prescriptive type practice. It's a practice where I offer an invitation to do certain activities that bring you, that are sensory based, that help bring you into presence and the now, which is really healing for a lot of people. But they're all invitations. You know, they're 
an invitation can be received or not received by definition. So they're optional and it allows people to really follow their own intuition, their own needs and receive whatever they need to receive. So for example, you know, to illustrate this, I had an experience, which I absolutely loved of offering an invitation. I think I forget what it was. It was for people to, I don't know, maybe go out and notice um, areas of light and shadow, um, something related to that. And I had a participant go and he just, I don't know, he, he went around and he picks up some leaves and he was looking up at the sky and he, he you know, he was doing all sorts of things. Um, but he wasn't really focusing on light and shadow. And he came back and he said, you know, it was, I think the first time in my life where I just did what I wanted to do and I didn't follow the invitation and it was super healing for me. And, and I just loved that I could just do whatever I wanted. And that's just an example of why, where the magic begins with forest therapy is that permission that I offer you and therefore you can give yourself to do whatever is you need to do. And then on top of that, the other thing that I say is that many of the practices that and invitations that we do in forest therapy can be done solo. You know, you could go out and follow your, you know, follow your nose and let it guide you to smell all types of smells around you. That and that could be a very beautiful practice. And it's one that I actually do, you and I do, when we go on our neighborhood walks, often we'll smell all types of things. And that's definitely a way to have a deeper relationship with the living world around you. And at the same time, forest therapy is a social and relational, meaning relational between all of the participants practice. And there's something that that happens when you bring a bunch of people together that don't know each other, offer them the same invitation, have them experience it in whatever way they need to experience it, and come together. And we do a series of shares, and people share out their experience. And I've often, it's my favorite parts of the walks, because what you hear is that, you know, I could give what the same invitation that in my mind is about, I don't know, like make music with the forest or something. And, and, you know, I'm doing one thing and then people come back and someone says, wow, that reminded them of their grandmother. Or someone says, wow, they thought about um, being a kid. Another person says it reminded them of, you know, they're a producer and they make music in the studio and, you know, they, they can't remember the last time they felt like so creative again and they could create in, in the way that they wanted. So everyone has their own individual experience and yet we're all um, connected together by this common experience um, of being together and, you know, receiving the same invitation. So it's that combination of the two um, elements that really to me makes the magic and the healing and the it's it's so important in the sharing when people share that and they're that they're witnessed and they're seen and that in and of itself is very powerful and profound for people you know i feel like i should add as someone who has been on oh i don't know a dozen uh of your forest therapy uh experiences. I agree entirely with what you're saying about where the magic lies, but I also would like to add that there is also something magical, I feel, about the way that you facilitate and hold this space. You know, you said that partly out of interest and partly out of circumstances, you're in this really interesting position where you can help connect um, these two seemingly but not truly separate aspects of life, which would be the modern world urban spaces, however you want to define it, and nature connection. And that um, they're actually not that far apart from one another. But from what I see, there is a kind of way in which you invite people into the space in this really effortless way in which you have integrated these things together in your own life 
that really just seems to like melt any walls that anybody might have as they show up. I mean, it usually takes 15, 20 minutes. You have a meditation that you do at the beginning and usually without fail, it's like people are just like melting into the grass and the sun and and the way that people open up. It's such a beautiful thing to see. And I know part of it is the magic of nature. Part of it is this very beautiful framework from ANFT. Um, But also there's a way in which you are present. And the fact that you've deeply embodied this stuff into your own life, there's a lot of magic there. So I just want to put that put that forward as well. Well, that's really nice. Thank you, David. I mean, I, I also love that the way that we were taught to guide and the way the structure allows for each guide to put their own spin on things while still maintaining the integrity of the process that we bring people through. And that's what I absolutely love. So for me, you know, I I had someone ask me actually the other day, like, do you have a certain way that you guide that you could communicate that's like your own style or spin on things? And the best way I could describe it is like, I love to bring a lot of playfulness and humor to the process because that's the way that I like to engage and relate and build deeper intimacy with nature is through that playfulness and not feeling like it has to be so serious and so austere and and like precious and um you make it feel exciting yeah that's how I feel when I'm there I feel like you make it feel exciting yeah I always like to add a little twist to something something real funny or weird (laughs) yeah I like to keep it spicy (laughs) no but it's true but it's because that's me and that's my Mm -hmm. personality and so I would encourage anyone actually who is interested in forest therapy to go on a few walks and the reason why I say is because like we've just talked about every guide is different And so it's kind of like when you search for a therapist and sometimes people will go see one therapist and they'll have a bad experience and they'll be like, oh, therapy isn't for me or, or just like maybe not bad, but it just, the therapist isn't resonating with you. You know, like a therapist, everyone will resonate with a different guide because we're all different and it's like finding your person and your and your guide. I'm sure the way I guide doesn't resonate with everyone. You know, I don't know, but like I speak to people. I think as a guide, we all are avatars for the people that we guide often. And so I'll speak to a certain set of people um, and maybe not others. So I guess I would just say if you're listening and, and you're curious about forest therapy, you know, if you ha- if you go and you have a certain experience and you're like, I don't know how that, that was, I'm not sure, you know, go just try it again and, you know, try a different guide because I do believe that there's just a different style for every guide and there is a forest therapist, uh, forest therapy guide for you out there. I believe everyone has a guide that is, will resonate. Well, I would be happy to talk about forest therapy, like indefinitely with you. We'll have a whole episode. We'll do a whole episode about it. But there's something else I wanted to touch on, which has also been a really like important um, defining element in the last 10, 12 months for you, um, which is the sort of personal uncovering and reckoning with and eventually a di- like an official diagnosis Uh, of ADHD. What has it been like for you to receive the diagnosis? But also, I know you've been doing a a lot of like, um, kind of investigating of of your life as it is now, and also like looking back to when you were a kid or in college, 
and beginning to put some like puzzle pieces together of, oh my gosh, like this has been something that's really been present for me and like a, um, a, like a source of a lot of difficulty for me for my life. I would say that receiving the diagnosis was so, I felt so much relief I think because I really personalized my struggles in a way that, you know, what is wrong with me? Like why I'm incompetent or I've, I'm lazy or I am disorganized or I'm a mess or um, I just, I personalized it as some type of major defect in my character and that was very painful and caused me definitely a lot of shame over many years um and so receiving a diagnosis which I was so sure I I had it like I there is actually no question in my mind and I'm not a psychiatrist like I'm not pretending I know everything but I knew myself and I knew once I looked at the symptoms I was, it was like looking in a mirror basically mm-hmm. when I was reading them. And I was like, yep, yep, you're like, check, 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 check. Um, and so it just allowed me to, it actually opened space for me to give myself compassion in a way that I couldn't before because I was like, oh, this isn't my fault. This is how I was, bo- well, this is how my brain formed in a way that was not necessarily under my control. Yeah, so it really allowed me to give myself a lot of compassion because I realized that none of this was my fault. And and yet now it's my responsibility. But it, it was like, until I got the diagnosis, it's hard to take responsibility for something you don't know if it is just how you are. Or if there's like, you know what I mean? I didn't have the diagnosis. So I was like, is this just something that's like part of my character? And so, you know, it was, but so having that diagnosis, then I was like, okay, now I have permission to take responsibility. And it's actually, I've noticed in, in having that, I'm not medicated currently because, you know, I can't get the medication, but. Right. There's a, there's like a a nationwide Adderall shortage, Adderall, which is what I was prescribed. And I'll definitely do a whole episode on ADHD and um, I'll share, you know, if I can eventually get the medication, I'm going to try it and share what my experience is like. But, you know, I've spent 35 years developing techniques to be a functional human with this. And it's interesting because when I got the diagnosis, I started telling friends about it because it felt like important to before it was sort of part of my shadow of like something I hid. And because I felt a lot of shame around many of the behaviors that uh, resulted from ADHD. Um, So I've been sharing it as a way to kind of bring that shadow into the light and so many of my friends are like completely shocked. And it's because I've I've found ways to like manage it to a point. And at the same time, what I share with them is like, yes, from from your vantage point, I'm a very like functional, capable person, but on the inside I'm really struggling. And I I'm looking forward to, you know, trying the medication and maybe receiving a little bit of support and relief. But I, I want to talk about a few of the ways that I was was clued in to having ADHD since I was a child because, and again, I'll do a whole episode on this, but I do think this was like such a big moment for me to receive this diagnosis And I feel like it's important to share that because if someone's listening and they're like, oh my God, I've been (laughs) struggling with the same things or it's just a clue in to maybe pursue that and just see um, if, you know, just, just see if they're there, you do have ADHD or not, you know, and, and get help from a professional. 
So I would say that when I looked back to my childhood, and and I have many symptoms as an adult because I have it, but I'm not going to focus on those. I'm actually going to talk about when I was a child, the things that in retrospect, I realized were symptoms of having ADHD. Um, And I say ADHD, I don't have hyperactivity necessarily, um, but I, I guess it all now falls under the umbrella of ADHD. That's how they're uh, describing it. Um, I have more, uh, attention issues. So I just want to caveat that some people do have hyperactivity too. Um, and so for me, uh, there was some indicators when I was a child of one, when I was really young and in like the first grade, maybe, um, I had to go into like remedial, tutoring. I needed some remedial tutoring help. I forget exactly what program I was in or if I had like, I think I had a special reading tutor or something because I could read, but I couldn't remember anything that I was reading. And so my reading comprehension was like shockingly poor. Um, And so they gave me this tutor But really, looking back, that's a sign I was having trouble with attention. So I I could read it, but I just couldn't. I couldn't pay attention enough to internalize what I was reading and retain it. So that was one thing. I also went through this very challenging phase where I would leave things. I think it was in the fourth or fifth grade I was constantly leaving things places, losing things. I would lose my books. I would lose, you know, my homework. I would lose my key, like all sorts of things. I was constantly losing to the point it became like a real big problem for a period of time. I think I must have developed techniques to be able to remember. But even now there are times, you know, even this week actually, I um, left work and realized I had left, you know, I have a pouch with all of my health tinctures in it, and I left that at work. It's stuff like that where just I would, like, leave things behind, lose things constantly. Um, It was a real problem when I was a kid. Um, Another thing was issues with time, and this caused a lot of challenges between my mom and I around just struggling with time management or time estimation. (laughs) But there, I mean, this still continues, this time (laughs) struggle. Um, But it was really bad when I was younger and in high school and constant issues with being late, rushing, not budgeting enough time. I mean, there was even stuff, this is like really vulnerable for me to admit, but I used to have a lot of trouble with when, with ADHD, you have issues of like underestimating the amount of time that you need to do something. And so I had a period of time where I would underestimate the time I needed to leave school and get on the bus. And often I would have to use the bathroom before. And the bus was 45 minutes because I lived on like the outskirts of town. And so I wouldn't give myself enough time to use the bathroom before I would get on the bus. Then I would get on the bus and I would have to go so bad. And by the time I would get off the bus, I would, and for some reason, you know, the way that my house worked, I had trouble with like the key going into my house. And there was like a period of time where I would like pee my pants outside my house, which is like so sad. And I was, I mean, I think I was, I was in middle school. I was older. I just, it was because I had trouble with the, just being able to like give myself the time I needed before and also catch the bus. I would always be running. And so it's like, it makes me feel so sad for the younger me who was like having such a hard time. Um, but I mean, there are more, but that's just some of the, the other one is uh, disorganization and piles. <laughs> I remember um, in my diagnoses process, my psychiatrist was like, do you uh, have piles? And I'm like, do you put things into piles? And I was like, I was like, LOL, do I? You know, and that was like a 
constant also fight between my parents and I. You know, you got all these piles and they're so disorganized. But in my head, I was like, they're organized. So, you know, if you have any of these and if you're nodding your head about this, that's some of these, you know, go, go seek help from a professional and, and pursue that because it was like, looking back, I'm like, oh my Lord. Yeah, there are others, but that's just some of the things that clued me into, I was having a really hard time. You know, I'm really looking forward to the episode that you do, that you devote to this topic, because just being your partner and living with you and being around you over the last, I mean, how long has this been? I mean, when did you first really start uncovering or like realizing that, um, or beginning to suspect that ADD or ADHD was at the center of a lot of the things you've been struggling with? Yeah, I want to give credit and a shout out to Michelle Pelazon of Holisticism because she was the one who started talking about it because she has it. And I've been, you know, connected to that community for many years. Um, And I can link to it in in the show notes. But so she was talking, talking, talking about it and sharing, you know, signs and symptoms, just like she calls it the squiggly brain, which is a nice way of, of sort of, um, you know, I like that, that reframe of like, it's, from disorder to just a different way of how your brain works. I mean, that that is what it is. Mm. And I'll talk about this in the episode devoted to it. I, you know, I think there are many, it can be a superpower too. I think there are many ways it can make you super creative. And um, I think it makes me a really good strategist. But that was when I started, and that was maybe like a year and a half ago, um, and it just built over time. And, and as I started to recognize myself in her descriptions, I also started to connect with people who then revealed that they have ADD um, or ADHD. And I, I was like, wow, I feel similarly to you. Um, so, yeah. So I'll say that from my vantage point, it's been a really amazing thing to see watching your awareness develop around it, seeing you begin to connect the dots in terms of your history, present struggles. But also it's been pretty amazing to see the self-compassion and the constant practice of forgiving yourself while also holding yourself accountable. It's been a really beautiful thing to witness. Um, and you alluded to it a little bit here, and I know you'll get it to it more deeply in that episode, but it's, it's incredible the techniques and strategies that you've used, uh, or that you've developed to help yourself. And it's interesting because I know you now have the diagnosis and you aspire to, uh, try the medication and see to what degree that supports you. But it's interesting because I have noticed that as your degree of self-acceptance and compassion has gone up, it seems as if you are finding more and even more efficacious strategies for helping yourself as well. Um, I think all of that will probably be really valuable um, for people. And I'm looking forward to hearing more of that, more about that. Thank you. I think that has been a big lesson for me too. And we you always hear that self-criticism does not, people think that, oh, you know, if I'm really hard on myself, that's a motivator for me to do better. And I wholeheartedly believe that it's not, it's the opposite. And it's so easy to convince yourself that it is, but allowing, removing a lot of the shame and I'm still working through it. I mean, I have a lot of shame around this because I feel like it's, I've, I've, re- you know, I've, I've really struggled. My senses, I have like pretty bad ADHD actually. Um, and so, but bringing it out into the open and, and, um, even, you know, through this episode sharing it, it feels pretty vulnerable to do, but it's allowed me to take responsibility and, and have the energy to do that rather than spend all my energy on shaming myself and like shutting down and feeling paralyzed by it. 
Sure, of course, of course. So more to come. The last thing I just want to say is that in receiving this diagnosis, I think it's pretty interesting that, again, I followed my intuition with many things in my life, especially related to the work I do with nature relationship. And it is not surprising to me that one of the amazing benefits or one of the the ways that a deeper intimacy with the, the living world can do is around supporting attention restoration. And so it's almost like before I even knew I even thought about ADHD or even knew really what it was, thought it just meant you were hyper all the time. Um, I had noticed that I just felt so much calmer and more present and at peace when I was having sensory embodied experiences with the natural world. And, you know, lo and behold, it actually is scientifically proven to really help people with ADD and ADHD. So I've I've often said on this podcast, we offer the medicine we need, and that has definitely proven to be true. And I really feel like now it is a part of my mission and purpose to, again, embody both someone who has and has struggled with ADHD and yet is building a muscle around um, more presence, more, you know, attention, restoration, and yeah, and, and, and modeling that for, for others. I think there are a lot of people out there who either do or do not know that, that they have ADHD and that I think this work is going to be really impactful for a lot of people. It's funny. I feel like every time we get on a topic, I just want to keep talking about it. It feels like we never run out of things to talk about. It feels like you and I could just like talk forever. I mean, we did. We When we drove across the country, we didn't have a radio <laughs> in your car or and we didn't really have like the road noise. This is just a few years ago when we moved out to L.A. The road noise on the car was so loud that we couldn't put a speaker in because it was like even louder. Right. This was like my old farm car that had like yeah. the back smashed in. And so, yeah, it was super I'm, loud. I'm just reminded of the fact that people were like, what did you do <laughs> for driving across the country that entire way without like any kind of music or pot? I was like, we just talked to each other the whole time. <laughs> And it was great. It was great. And we still have more to talk about. We do. Um, But I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, because we've been talking about the last year and what's been going on for you. But uh, you are now starting to uh, return your focus towards the podcast and other parts of our nature and your business. So what is your vision for the remainder of 2023? I think the vision is currently emergent Mm -hmm. and organic, if you will. I'm going to use that word. Uh, But I would say that I am really stepping back into my business and um, I'm going to be continuing to do forest therapy walks in Los Angeles. And I hope to do them virtually. I think... There is some education um, and sharing that I want to do around how that can work because I think when people hear virtual forest therapy walk, they think, well, that's weird. (laughs) How does that work? But it's quite wonderful, and I've had the experience of being on the receiving end, so that's something I hope to offer more of in the future so that anyone around the world can join and experience. Um, This is the start of my podcast once again. And I'm also, you know, I have so many ideas for future things I want to be able to build. I will be offering homecoming my course and retreat once again. Uh, So for those who have been following me and um, have heard about it, it's coming back. It's one of my favorite times (laughs) of year. I love it. (laughs) But I am going to be, I was originally going to offer it twice a year, but I'm only going to offer it once a year. Um, because it's a really special uh, offering, and I just, I think I want to make space for other types of things, but um, it just feels like kind of a once-a-year moment for people. 
Um, and that offering is always quite small. So um, I will be talking more about that. But so I'll be doing that. And then there are other things that I want to build, like other physical products that I want to build very mindfully, of course. But um, I, I really feel like if I was going to give this year a headline, this is the year that I'm going to really push myself to work on some of my fears around being seen and, and showing up and leaning into my authenticity because it's just become really clear to me that it's not serving me or others to like hide behind my business anymore. And my business is me in some ways because I'm not, I mean, I am offering some methodology around processes and practices, but at the end of the day, a lot of it is through you know, my experience or through sharing, you know, what I've learned and things like that and showing up as a coach and a guide. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really the headline for me for this year. Well, this conversation has been a pleasure for me. Um, we always say that even though we spend all this time together and that we talk, talk, talk and, um, but that there's still so much that we know that we don't know about each other. And it's not often that I get the opportunity to just ask you questions and, and listen deeply. So this has been really nice for me. And I have to say, I'm really excited to hear more about the, the forest therapy, the EDD episode. And um, I know you have some other episodes that are lined up. Our relationship I'm... episode, David. Oh, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Lest you forget. That's that right. one's coming, I promised. That's... And so we'll be back <laughs> So I think what I mean to say is I'm excited to see what comes in the next year or so with you. Thank you. And thank you for interviewing me. This was really fun, edgy for me, for sure. Oh, for me too. I was, <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> it's been edgy for both of us. So, um, you know, here's to leaning into your courage this year. and Let's go make some lunch. <laughs> what a way to end. This season of Our Nature you can expect some special thematic episodes about topics like forest therapy, ADHD. I may even do a couple of solo episodes. Who knows? I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. But until then, stay curious, go outside, and let the world in. I'll see you later. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature Podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.